Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays, credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear from a group of public school parents suing to keep the state from taking over their school district. Then, could you fall victim to scammers in the wake of the Equifax breach? Plus, find out how agencies are working to prevent suicide from taking lives, young and old alike. No specific reason. She did not leave a note, so I do not know why she chose to do it at that time. And learn why one Mississippi city will have to change its meeting practices after a ruling from the state Supreme Court. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A group of Jackson parents is suing to stop the state from taking over its second largest school district. The State Board of Education is asking Governor Phil Bryan to declare a state of emergency in the Jackson Public School District. Dorsey Carson is a lawyer for the 40-parent group. He's also the father of a Jackson Public School student. He says parents were deprived of their due process rights under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. We have listed about 40 parents. These are all JPS parents with school children in the JPS system. They're anxious about what's about to happen. Our teachers are anxious. Our principals are anxious in the district. And we know there's going to be a total loss of financial control, so no local control at all. So many of these parents, after years of getting higher income families back in the public school system. Now, many of these are looking at either homeschooling or or putting their kids in private school. And that's moving in our district way back. You said that you were going to file a lawsuit. It's in federal court. Why federal court? We believe that due process rights under the U.S. Constitution were not followed. And there are two types of due process. There's procedural and then substantive due process. And, And this process failed for both of them. The parents and the school children have had no voice in this, and in the policies and procedures that are followed for this process, they're not ever going to have any due process rights. And so, you know, ours is about, first of all, the right to be heard. And there are some parents that support a state takeover, and their voices should be heard as well. But most of us 
I think, are opposed to it. Why do you think this is happening? Why aren't you allowed to speak about it? Why aren't other parents invited to speak about it? Why was this decision made without that input from JPS or from parents? I think the agenda was set from the beginning. The purpose has always been to come into the second largest district in the state and the state's only urban district and take it over. And when you look at behind the scenes the history of ALEC out of D.C., a D.C. think tank, we're just the latest state where this has happened. Uh, state takeovers have been pushed by ALEC for years and decades, really. And so that's where we are now. You see in the cities like Little Rock where they've taken over the school system there and instituted a number of charter schools, and it's still failing. The only difference is people are making money off of it now. This is just politics. It's not about student performance. Student performance has been going up every year, and we just got a new interim superintendent less than a year ago. There's a corrective action plan in place that was being met. The Department of Education was signing off on all of those. They've recognized that there's progress. But then at the last minute, they swoop in and do this process with less than 30 days, which doesn't even meet their own procedures. And parents are completely locked out of the process because they know that we're not in favor of it and they don't want to hear our voices. You said it's a political action at the Board of Education level or above that level? I think at Board of Education and above that level. I've had conversations with legislators that are members of ALEC and push that agenda and none of them have said that there's been a fair process for the Jackson school children or the parents. Their arguments are just, oh, there's been poor performance and therefore it needs to be a state takeover without any consideration of whether an actual emergency situation exists without any input by parents. And if anybody's vested in it, in this process, it's us. We love our kids and we want the best for them. We have a lot of people who have no vested interest, no kids. There's nobody on the commission nor at the Department of Education board that has kids in the JPS system. We are the people who are the most invested in it, and we're the ones fighting for our children. And for us to be completely locked out of the process when the U.S. Constitution has been recognized to give a right to parents and school children to that educational process in public schools, there's a liberty right and a property right. Well, those have just been trampled over here. And so I think there there are a lot of considerations that the commission and the board should have considered. And if they make that decision anyway, fine. We obviously would fight it, but the whole thing is let's get a fair view of what's happening. We have performing schools and we have underperforming schools. It's not one size fits all. Dorsey Carson is an attorney and the parent of a child in the Jackson Public School District. Dorsey, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. Carson wants a judge to block the Jackson Public Schools takeover before it happens. Governor Phil Bryan has not indicated when he might consider the takeover request from the Education Department. MPB News is working to speak with the Department of Education. We will bring you any conversation we're able to have with them. In other news, scammers are trying to prey on Mississippians affected by a credit reporting security breach. MPB's Ezra Wall reports. Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood says scammers are taking advantage of a recent data breach at credit reporting agency Equifax. 
The company has set up a site where consumers can find out whether their personal information was improperly released. That website is equifaxsecurity2017.com. Hood warns not to trust sites that are similar but not the same. Now the hackers have gone and set up websites that are so similar to the Equifax site that you go to to check to see if you were a victim. They only changed one number. Equifax has come under fire after admitting hackers access the private information of more than 100 million consumers, including social security numbers, birth dates, and other information. Officials and experts have been advising those affected to monitor their credit reports and even consider freezing their credit. Hood says some people have been frustrated with slow websites, and he wants to hear about it. We AGs are going to make Equifax do right in the end of this, but I'm not sure what people are encountering if they're having trouble getting on these websites. I didn't have any trouble, but if they're having those problems, getting that freeze, getting through to somebody, our office would like to hear. Hood says consumers can contact his office at agjimhood.com. Equifax announced last week the company is replacing two top-level security officials. Ezra Wall, MPB News. Find out how agencies are working to prevent suicide from taking lives, young and old alike. No specific reason. She did not leave a note, so I do not know why she chose to do it at that time. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. An already battered Caribbean deals with yet another hurricane as Maria sweeps through the region. We'll have the latest on Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and other affected islands. And we'll forecast where the storm heads next in one of the most active hurricane seasons in recent history. That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Bradley Law Firm, supporting TEDx Millsaps College, an event showcasing innovation through movement. TEDx Millsaps will take place September 30th at Millsaps College. More information at millsaps.edu slash TEDx. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mental health workers, educators, and the military are coming together to learn about suicide prevention. The collaborative met in Jackson Tuesday for the State Department of Mental Health's Suicide Prevention Symposium. In Mississippi, suicide is the third leading cause of death for young people between the ages of 10 and 24. It's also the 12th leading cause of death overall. Teresa Mosley is a Department of Mental Health board member who lost her daughter to suicide. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier she doesn't know the source of her 15-year-old daughter's depression. Beginning in the seventh grade, she started having um, characteristics of anxiety and depression. She was diagnosed with both of those, and she was prescribed medication for that. Um, kind of fluctuated things got better and when she was in the ninth grade and I thought well maybe this has just been teenage angst and things are going to be all right but um, it was not it was a sign that she had made the decision that she was going to take her life I never could find out exactly you know what it was she was just depressed you know it's just a, it's a mental health issue and you know it can be a chemical part that's not firing correctly but no specific reason. She did not leave a note, so I do not know why she chose to do it at that time. How can you help other families? I can help other families by sharing my story and by being a support and saying I'm right here with you. 
you know, I may not know exactly everything to say, but I've been there. And, you know, a lot of people can say, I know what you're going through. I can say that honestly. I know what you're going through if you've lost someone to suicide. Are you able to share with them any signs or any things that you think you may have missed? Um, Yes. Yes, there are things now that I can go back and, in retrospect, see that they were, in fact, signs that she had made the decision that she was going to end her life. What do you tell them to look for? I tell them to look for if you've got a high-achieving child that their grades start to plummet, if they start to, if their eating patterns change, their sleeping patterns change, if all of a sudden they're really, really happy when they've been sad, if they start giving away things that, you know, are meaningful to them, uh, wanting to see people they haven't seen in a long time. Those are all characteristics, and some of which I missed. And today, what do you want to leave people with? I want to leave people with the fact that suicide is something that we don't need to be ashamed of and that we need to be able to communicate with our kids, communicate, um, you know, that there is help. There's nothing wrong with, with being depressed, that there is help out there to um, help our kids learn coping skills. Teresa Mosley with our Desiree Frazier. Mental health professionals talked about the prevalence of suicide among other groups, such as the military and the elderly. They say suicide rates are on the rise, especially among older white males. According to the State Department of Mental Health, the risk rises at age 65 and continues to climb. Kathy Van Cleve is director of the Division of Alzheimer's Disease and Recovery supports with the department. She says older adults have some of the highest rates. Older adults have the highest rates of completed suicide of any other cohort. So typically um, people who are at risk are those that have experienced, say, a change in their physical status. If they have not, uh, maybe they've gotten a terminal diagnosis or they have tried um, other you know, avenues for treatment and they've reached the last part of that. Um, sometimes we see caregivers who are burnt out that, um, you know, we don't have the rates of, you know, caregiver suicide, homicide, Um, but we know that people who are in a chronic caregiving role are at risk. We also have um, people that have had experienced the recent death of a a spouse or a family friend or, um, you know, have the fear of a prolonged illness, those types of things, or have had any major life changes. Life changes like... Well, when the you know, stock market crash, or they they lost their life savings, or um, you know, they have that that change in their physical status, or something happens to their immediate family, and they just aren't sure how to deal with that or how to cope with that, those kinds of things. And many times, that loss of independence, um, if they are are facing you know having to go into a, a you know chronic care situation, whether that's moving in with a child, an adult child, or um, having someone to come into their home full time, you know there there are so many factors there that fall into this category, you know, many of which there are supports for, but older adults don't always reach out for those supports. And some probably don't know how or what to do. Exactly. When they don't necessarily think that, you know, when you see the suicide prevention information or the talk line or a talk text, you don't typically think about an older adult wanting to, to make that connection. But, you know, those those um, hotlines are available for older adults as well. In fact, we strongly encourage that. Um, one of the key, big factors there is that risk for isolation. Um, you know, as we age, if we begin to experience physical changes or even changes in cognition, you know, the person may begin to self-isolate and 
and really pull out of those social interactions and things that they normally would do, you know, that person definitely needs a visit from a neighbor. You know, this is when the nosy neighbor is a good thing. You know, go and check on, on older adults. Sit down, have a cup of coffee. Take the cup of coffee with you and, and just visit on the front porch, do those kinds of things. We just want to encourage that neighbors checking on neighbors. What are some of the signs that family and friends can look out for? You know, um, many of those signs are similar across populations. So um, the things that you would look for in a a young adult would be applicable to an older adult. If they've had uh, changes in sleep patterns, insomnia, weight loss, or um, dramatic changes in their regular routine, you know, increased prescription drug use or stockpiling medications, that can certainly be a predictor there. An elaborate goodbye or social withdrawal or a rush to complete a will, a, a super sense of urgency there. And then that sudden elevated or mood, you know, many times there's this relief. If they have come to um, grips with their decision, there's a relief there. And many times we think, oh, the, you know, they've been to therapy and we've, we've increased socialization and all that's working, so we back off those supports. That's the time that they need the support the most because many times they have made, come to peace with their own decision and, and you know, that often catches families off guard. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Desiree. I appreciate your time. Kathy Van Cleve of the Department of Mental Health with MPB's Desiree Frazier. September is Suicide Prevention Month. Learn why one Mississippi city will have to change its meeting practices after a ruling from the state Supreme Court. That's coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fix It 101, we're looking at your appliances. Many of us take them for granted until they stop working. With a little knowledge and common sense, your home appliances could live well beyond their years. From AC Remedies, we welcome our resident appliance guy, Timmy McClendon, to the Handyman Hangout. So tune in this morning at 9 for the next Fix It 101. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast using any podcast app. Just search Fix It 101. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Officials in the city of Columbus will have to change their meeting practices now that the Mississippi Supreme Court has ruled they improperly met in private. In Mississippi, meetings of government boards have to be public, but the court unanimously found the Columbus mayor and members of the city council would meet in separate subgroups in order to avoid a quorum. The thought was that if there's no quorum, there's no official meeting and no need to meet in public. A former reporter for the Commercial Dispatch newspaper filed an ethics complaint and the State Ethics Commission ruled against the city. Mike Hurst is director of the Mississippi Justice Institute. He represents the newspaper in the case, and he spoke with MPB's Ezra Wall. The case originated when a reporter for the Commercial Dispatch, a newspaper in Columbus, filed a complaint against the mayor and city council of Columbus saying they had violated the Open Meetings Act. As the case progressed through the courts, the reporter left the newspaper and we got involved by representing the newspaper and substituting the newspaper in the reporter's place in the lawsuit. What are the requirements as far as government bodies publicizing and allowing public access to meetings here in Mississippi? So the state of Mississippi has a, a general policy that any public business and any public bodies that meet to discuss or deliberate or to formulate 
public business must be out in the open and noticed to the public. Now, the legislature has made a, a few exceptions to that, but as a general rule, most meetings should be open. And so that's kind of the general background on the law itself. Why is it important for public bodies to conduct all business or at least all like non-personnel related business in this open forum rather than having their own private discussions about these things? The legislature has specifically made exceptions for that. If members of a public body run into each other in a chance encounter or they run into each other at a social event, those are not covered by open meetings. It's only when they intentionally get together, try to discuss public business, formulate policy, and then come in and rubber stamp those in uh, previously noticed meetings that we're concerned about. The reason taxpayers of Mississippi should be concerned about this is because government has infiltrated our lives. Everything that public officials do affects how we live our lives, whether it's raising our taxes, whether it's spending our taxpayer dollars, whether it's regulating our you know, land or our property or our homes or just our lives with education or, or what have you, health care. Government is into everything, and so we as citizens need to know what the government is doing and how our officials are uh, operating our government. In terms of this specific case, did they become aware of these discussions or these meetings after the fact and filed a complaint because they weren't allowed to cover them, or did Nathan show up to these meetings? Well, so what happened was Nathan had heard that that the mayor was organizing these meetings of just a few city council members at a time in order to avoid the Open Meetings Act. And when Gregory, the reporter, heard about this, he had tried to gain access and had asked permission from the mayor's office to gain access to these meetings and was denied access. And so it was from that uh, denial of access to these meetings that he filed a complaint with the Ethics Commission. And the Ethics Commission ruled in his favor, saying that the city of Columbus and the mayor and the councilman had, in fact, violated the Open Meetings Act. Any member of the public can file such a complaint with the Ethics Commission. Isn't that the case? That's exactly right. The Open Meetings Act is available to everyone in Mississippi. The Mississippi Justice Institute is currently representing a Meridian man who has filed a complaint himself against the Lauderdale County Board of Supervisors for doing almost the exact same thing here that Columbus has done. And in that case, over near Meridian, the Ethics Commission also found that the Lauderdale County Board of Supervisors in fact, violated the Open Meetings Act in that case as well. Some of these areas don't have sophisticated websites or technology or means of notifying people when meetings are going to be held. What changes do you see that might need to come in order to sort of bring some of these localities into better compliance with the spirit of the Open Meetings Act? I think the way the act is written now, even towns that may not be as technologically advanced as others, still can comply with the Open Meetings Act by giving notice in newspapers, by posting notice in the courthouses. The public, at our very core, we want to know what's going on in our government. We want to know what's going on in our communities. And frankly, the public officials in this state have an obligation. They have a duty under law to provide this notice and provide the open meetings that are called for in the law. And so that's all we're saying. We're not trying to you know, burden our public officials. We're not trying to burden government. What we're trying to do is make sure that government is open, that it's accountable, and that it's transparent for all Mississippians. What does this say in the bigger picture for transparency in Mississippi? What I'm hoping it does is sends a message to all of our public bodies and our public officials that you can't try to get around the Open Meetings Act. 
You can't try to come up with innovative ways to circumvent the law and to violate the law. What I'm hoping it does is encourages them to do the public's business out in the open so that the public can see what they're doing, so that the public can hold them accountable. It probably will not be comfortable for our public officials to do this, but this is what the citizens demand, and this is how we have good government. Mike Hurst is director of the Mississippi Justice Institute. Thank you very much for explaining this to us and helping us understand the issue better. Thanks so much, Ezra. Take care. Calls to the city of Columbus were not returned. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. As an MPB listener, you probably know of Radio Reading Service, our free closed-circuit network for the print impaired. But did you know that means Radio Reading Service isn't only for the visually impaired and that MPB provides the special receiver you need for the service? Call 601-432-6301 to see if you qualify for MPB's Radio Reading Service. 601-432-6301. There's so much more to know.